0: This is Coda Radio, episode 129 for November 24th, 2014. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, established on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael.
1: Hello, sugar buns. Hello, sweetie. How are you today? I'm a paranoid psycho, but that's not, you know.
0: Oh, is this in in relation to the big, uh, super important meeting you had right before the show?
1: I'm going to tell you about um, 50% of my meetings. They don't happen because people don't pick up the phone.
0: (laughs) Really? It didn't even happen at all? The meeting never occurred?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Never occurred.
0: Oh, you know, to be honest with you, you know when that happens to me is like, we're going to do an interview for a show. And then the guest like gets the timing confused or can't get Skype to work. And then they no show. And then what do you do? Because like, well, that that was the show. So that
1: well, now what do you well, do, right? Well, in this case, <laughs> you know you know these time zone things oh, uh, yes. apparently I don't understand them.
0: Nobody does, actually. The yeah. people that tell you they do only understand like a little bit. They don't understand the pain.
1: I keep forgetting that like not everybody's in the eastern time zone. Well. So I make appointments and it turns out I like triple book my day because you know, one guy's central, one guy's Pacific. Yeah. Then someone's out in England somewhere and I'm like, yep. Oh yep. no.
0: Yep. <laughs> and then of course sometimes if they're over like in England and stuff, by the time you think of it, they're already done checking their email for the day. It's a mess. You know, that's why, Mr. Dominic, it's much easier just to have a mumble room. And I, I wanna say this is exciting. We haven't done a call in edition of the Coda Radio for a little while, so time appropriate greetings to our fantastic mumble room.
2: Hello.
0: Hey guys! Hi. So uh, we're gonna do a laid-back surprise Coda Radio here today, and we have a couple of topics to start with. You guys are the floor is open. You chime in anytime you want. Uh, Mister Dominic gets the right away, so I you know I might step on you if you if you talk over. But why don't we start uh, with some feedback? Because I feel like we've all gathered together here today to answer the audience's tough questions, and uh, we start on episode 129 with an email from viewer Chris, not me. Not me. And he says here, uh, As much as I am annoyed by the stink that Lenart caused with System D, and this is going back to a topic from a little while ago, I can't help but feel extremely sorry for him. As you've, also alluded, as you've all alluded to, the amount of hate he must receive, as much as a high-profile developer as he is, has got to be immense. As a community, we all ho- owe him a debt of gratitude for the great work he's done on projects since Pulse Audio and Cough Cough System D. So this is uh, a response from an email, a couple, of, uh, a topic we had a couple of weeks ago where... Lenart was receiving, he says, even death threats over the creation of System D and the rollout of it. He says, the Internet community is much better at churning out critiques, spite, and outright scary S than is often expressed in praise and thanks. Perhaps we should start a campaign to shower his forums with a little positive feedback, thanking him for the good work he has done, showing him and everyone else that it's not the whole community that is assholes, just the vocal members, just a, just the very vocal members and a minority. Maybe I was just brainwashed by too much care bears as a child, but if I was in his place, I think a simple thank you now and again would go a long way to making me feel like I wasn't wasting my time. Cheers, Chris, and it's Pong Fung in the IRC. Um, this is a pretty extreme opinion. Uh, you, I think a lot of people listening are probably get a little sick in their stomach when they hear about going on forums and praising Lenart. Uh, But the reason I thought this email was kind of poignant is uh, before the show today, I recorded an interview with Mark Shuttleworth to be aired on Sunday's Linux Action Show. And in there, I asked Mark uh, something that we've talked about on this show. And I said, do you think all of the vitriol and the criticism will directly result in less code being produced? Because you got to think about a lot of developers, they develop because it's their passion. They're motivated to do it, to create something. It's, It's a creative outlet for them, too. And when you see this kind of vitriol, even on a smaller scale than, say, what the System SystemD project gets, you have to figure it turns some people away. And his answer was an emphatic yes. He said, absolutely. He says he thinks we already see it resulting in less code being produced. Uh, so uh, this, to me, seems maybe overkill. But I don't know, Mr. Dominic. Do we need to have a campaign where we go around and encourage developers?
1: Why can't we be friends? <laughs> right. Why can't we be friends? Hands across the world. <laughs> Yeah, we, we could all just not be dicks for like a week right
2: mm,
0: Lionhead is that possible
2: I I don't really know but well it is also the, the kind of thing that you always will pay more attention to the negative stuff even though, though you have a huge amount of positive stuff going in that one idiot that says you're a dick he's gonna get the attention mm. also I think that the, thing, the same people who moan about um, systems and stuff are also the same people who moan about um, releases not being very often.
0: Hmm. You think, uh, okay, all right, so I see where both of you are coming from. Here's my take on it. And <clears throat> unfortunately, I hate to have to be the guy to say this because it doesn't seem very fair, and of course I might feel differently if I were in Lenart's shoes. But at some point you also have to kind of just tune it out have a thick skin as much as you can. Now, there is obviously limits to that, but the internet gives everybody a voice, which is a good thing, but it comes with the downsides, obviously. And uh, if you make the choice to put yourself out into that environment, you know, if you decide to get involved and you decide to put something out there, you also, don't you have to make the decision... To not let that stuff get to you, isn't it more about? Isn't the isn't the problem with the criticism is it's more about exposing your own insecurities about what they're saying, and less about the fact that they're saying it?
1: Well, really, the only thing you can back from you can get back from open source development is positive feedback. There's no money or something involved, so if that isn't there, yeah.
0: And also, it's human nature. Like, if you like something, uh, you know, to just kind of continue to consume it or appreciate it and not necessarily go out of your way to praise it. But if you really don't like something, it's human nature to, to take it down and attack it and, you know, build up a case and, and, you know, make your voice heard why it's a bad thing and right that injustice. Whereas if you like it, you know, you just happily go about your day and use it. And so those are two different types of people. And the, the one group doesn't really feel the need to vocalize very often. Um, OK, well, good thoughts, Chris. I don't know about going out, though, and well... <clears throat> Actually, I mean seriously, it, it might help. I don't know if Leonard is the right target. I mean, Leonard has a job to do and he's getting paid well to do it.
1: Well, some folks are taking tips for open source now too, like financial tips, right? What is it um not not Patreon, the thing that Rock came before, Pe- it, Flatter.
0: Oh, Flatter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. And Tip,
1: so, uh, right? Tip, that's the other one I was thinking of. Yeah, with GitHub, yep.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh Coinbase just launched BitTip, which I'm sure you'll be using, Mr. Dominic, which is Bitcoin tip based. Yeah, do you think that's a good system? Do you think that's maybe? But it seems like it seems like GitTip would have taken off more in the open source community, but it really doesn't. I don't see a lot of projects using it. It'd be a good way to, I guess, speak it's with a your fair,
1: it's a fair point. I mean, but how many individual developers are doing open source, and you know they just have the bad luck of well, the odds are, most people get ignored, right? Uh, but then there's always that one guy who happens to get his code ripped apart by someone who's a jerk for no apparent reason mm-hmm. or, or even in worst cases for stupid stylistic reasons, right? Like things that ultimately don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I've always felt we could all be a little more, you know, like, especially cause the kind of work I used to do a lot was taking over other people's projects. There is a real bad, um, like you're incentivized to be a prick kind of, Right. Whenever you have another vendor or another developer that came before you, it's really easy to just blame the, you yep, know blame everything on yep, them. Yep, yep, yep. But I've played both sides of this coin, and you know, and unless you were there, you don't know what the situation was, what the limitations put on that person were. How about in terms of like resources, time? Um, you know, I was in a situation where I took over a project from someone I actually knew. And he had told me all the things that the manager was telling beforehand, which were the normal stuff, right? It doesn't matter. Just tinsel it together, get it done. Just ship something. We'll fix it later. And of course, when it came time to let go of this contractor, they they played the oh well, the uh, you know the quality is not quite what we expected, mm. and uh, therefore we're going to you know prorate this payment here. So it, it's really tempting to to you know lambast the guy who came before you because frankly you can get away with murder for two months right like you can yeah,
0: it's a blank check can, for a little you, while
1: you can do nothing and just say you were refactoring code but one that's fraud and two morally you know one day you're going to be the guy who had the project for six months and then <laughs> some someone younger than you or cheaper than you came and and took it over and and sometimes you, you that guy's code may not be crap you just might be a little bit of an idiot right you know it hurts like for,
0: it hurts too because uh uh, I I had that happen to me, and the you know I had I had built something that wasn't just kind of good. It was like one of the things I was most proud of ever building. And then the guy came in and just threw completely invalid arguments in to make it look bad. Restructured, spent a whole bunch of money, and uh, you know then a year later I came back to fix it because they got rid of the guy. And uh, I tell you how hard it was, and I don't think I was successful all the time not to constantly blame him because he really did come in and break it. He, he broke my thing that I built, and then he came in and really screwed it up, big time. He took a brilliant well, I, design and screwed it up. And like it, I had to bite my tongue constantly, constantly. And I struggled for a year to recover from it, you know, fixing all the things he did. It was, it was a bad couple of years.
1: Yeah, I had a case where I had been working on an iOS application for roughly a year for one customer. And, you know, I did, it was a very media-intensive application, a lot of video, a lot of... Um, not PDFs, but like rich media content, they have their own weird format. But, you know, don't call it a PDF-PDF kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, right.
1: <laughs> and it, it, was a very, it was a very big core data implementation because there was a lot, of, a lot of storing data on the client. They replaced me with a, uh, you know, not, not to hate on my favorite people, but an offshore team from somewhere that I don't know about. And the first thing the offshore team did in their evaluation was that this, this code is terrible. Why? because they didn't understand core data. So what do they want to do? Rewrite it in hand SQL calls on iOS, which if anybody who does iOS, if your first move is let's get rid of core data and write something in in raw SQL, you have other problems you need to be evaluating. But that's happened. And you could tell the people replaced me. It was actually one person, very, very junior, and kind of, frankly, just very cheap, right? Um, I ended up getting called back three months later to that same gig, and I charged them twice as much because I'm a dick. But...
0: Did you finish? You went away. Uh, I'll say probably. Oh yeah, we had a little. Sorry, we had a little Skype burp there, Mr. Dominic, but it uh, auto recovered. And I'll say too, when I, you know, the thing that I, the thing that I took away from that lesson was, uh, it was a very hard way for me to learn that don't trash the other guy. And part of it was like sort of a growing up experience for me because I think I started I would sometimes trash the other guy just because he technically had screwed up. But uh, something that I learned from that, too, is don't always assume that the other person or the other company or the other group is dumb. In fact, assume they're smart and they had good reasons, but you just don't understand what they are. And that, that was sort of a guiding philosophy that I took into future clients is assume they had their justifications and good reasons. Assume they were smart people. And then right. it's a little bit easier for coping with it.
1: One thing I've always found in taking over like a rescue project is, before you evaluate the code, evaluate the project manager because, you know, shit rolls downhill, right? Mm.
0: Like, it's true.
1: I'm sorry. And, and let's not forget the other stakeholders because, you know. Stakeholders. are stakeholders.
0: Stakeholders. Yeah. Uh, anybody in the Mumble Room have experience with Go?
1: No. Uh, I, I it...
0: took – Oh, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. Uh, I, I went through the Go
3: tour uh, shortly after having running into some issues with uh, PHP because it doesn't have any like, multi-threading concurrency support, uh, and I'm actually going to be moving my entire PHP code base over to Go.
0: Whoa! Wow, look at you. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, PT Dave, friend of the show, writes in frequently, wrote in about Go, and uh, I wanted to get everybody's insights to this. Says so my school district has two problems since I started. Remember, he's been working there for a little bit now. Inventory hardware and terrible dated ASP.NET helpdesk. Oh boy. He says so I've written servers in Dart using the base HTTP server and language it provides. It's a great. It's great for putting theories to the test, but I'm finding it doesn't quite fit the scaling needs in my opinion. So I started looking into Go. Thus far, being fairly being a fairly experienced C++ developer, I'm getting frustrated with the syntax on a fairly often basis. But With that said, it's been a great way to develop back-end servers thus far after you get past the initial learning curve. So I've begun developing a help desk inventory system in Go just for a back-end. So far, the difficulties have been getting OAuth 2.0 to work, he says the documentation is terrible, in his opinion, and converting data properly from JSON, BSON 2.0, from JSON structures. I've worked through this, but I feel for an infant language, it's a struggle to find good examples or proper documentation. I'm curious, does anyone have good resources that specifically deal with backend servers with Mongo or whatever database in Go? It's not obvious. I'm a Golang noob, if it's it's not obvious. So, uh, Josh, any uh, database backend recommendations for uh, PT Dave and things of the such?
3: So, so I actually have sort of my own JSON-based, like, Database backend that I've written, so I don't I don't usually mess with MongoDB or MySQL or any of that sort.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I can understand why.
3: Yeah, and if getting OAuth two to work, there there's some really good packages out there. Um, if if you go to Go package, there there should be some docs um, for you to look at. Go I, to package, I completely. Okay. I completely understand the converting data, uh, the data from like JSON to structs. Uh, That's really frustrating to me too. Um, But I I guess the best idea would be to maybe make an arbitrary interface. So,
0: so uh, this is not really related too much other than this got me thinking. I've, I've been fantasizing about replacing the front end of Jupiter broadcasting with, something that is just honestly if I could do it the way I dream it would be the entire website would be rendered from flat markdown files that I put in a directory and then uh, that would get plugged into a template automatically and the post would be made and there wouldn't necessarily have to be a database or a traditional type of database it would be nice if it was so portable that I could pick it up and just pretty much drop it on a web server and it'd be super fast super simple and somehow, by creating Markdown, dropping into a new directory, all the other magic would happen. I'm so done with CMSs, I cannot begin to tell you how frickin' done I am with CMSs. WordPress, Drupal, they're all great. I don't want them. I don't well, want I mean,
3: them. So aside, aside from uh, some JavaScript and CSS, a lot of the pages of the Juju documentation are written in Markdown. And uh, I know... There are some great libraries out there for parsing uh, markdown to HTML, so that's completely doable.
0: Yeah, well, I want to do it real bad. I want to. I was actually thinking about even launching like a a community project at some point and saying, uh, "Hey, let's do it." But but how? Okay, but how would I migrate all of the historic content? Uh, And the chat room is uh, linking me to. uh, It looks like it's called. What, Jerkle? I don't know what this is. Transform plain text into static websites and blogs. That sounds exactly like what I want to do. Uh, But I don't understand. See, I don't know how I would take years and years and years worth of WordPress posts and extract those out and move them into this. It sounds like a nightmare. But for really what we need, we just need to serve up a video stream and links to files and links to notes. And that's all we need. We don't need all of the other CMS stuff. So that might be a project I'd take take on after the holidays, I think. So if anybody out there has any ideas, let us know go to radio dot com or email me directly chris at jupiterbroadcasting maybe I could finally i' just'm so sick of it I'm so sick of the security updates the plug updates the user management all of it I just want to drop a file in the directory post is made r s s feed would ha- see something to have to generate r s s feeds There's a lot of work that would be involved, but it would be I, still so slow. I haven't I haven't touched, uh,
3: it, I assume it's based on WordPress. Yeah. The, uh-huh. Okay, I haven't touched it in a while, but I mean, theoretically, you could pull that from the MySQL database, like the content, the mm-hmm. post content, mm-hmm. and and then you would have to convert that to to Markdown. But that seems like a, a fairly straightforward process.
0: Most of the posts are actually in Markdown. Already the WordPress WordPress has a plugin that converts oh, them like to HTML parse down or something yeah it's like yeah yeah so it's on, on post it converts it to HTML uh, but in the actual ah. editor it's still markdown so we have we have a lot of the contents in markdown, but they'd be missing like so if we did a site that could auto be posted, you'd have to have a header that said this is the episode title this is the episode number this is you know you'd have to have uh, you'd have to have a system that could input information at the top of the file and generate certain aspects like the tags you know all that kind of stuff. Uh, and right. so that'd have to be added to all the history stuff. But if you've got any ideas out there, it could be a cool project. And I, if we, if it's something we took on, I would definitely give updates uh, in the show as development was going on. Uh, okay. Enough about me. But uh, thanks to PT Day for sending in a thought-provoking email about Go. So Joshi writes, and I'm not quite sure on the pronunciation, but Mike, I love this email. It's about one of my favorite topics, Docker. He says, hey, Mike and Chris, I just want to tell you that I just published a simple tool for running Docker-based development environments on GitHub. It's not more than a simple bash wrapper for Docker, but it does a very nice job for me and some colleagues. And guess what? I started using Docker like this about one year ago when I first heard about it on Coda Radio. That's why I'm now thinking maybe I should tell you about it. Thanks for the great show. He says, Mac support, by the way. Not so hot right now. I'm running on Arch. Uh, I don't use OS Ten myself. So let's go take a look. He's got his GitHub link right here. And, uh... He says, it's a simple tool for running Docker-based development environments with Chef and Berkshelf-based provisioning. Uh, this is actually really cool. It's a simple tool for running Docker-based development environments. So if you want to get started, this might be a good way to go. I'll have a link, about, I'll have a link for this in the show notes if you've been developing on Docker. I uh, had an off-the-record chat. Mike, oh, Mike's going to love this. Hopefully I don't get in trouble for telling this story. I don't think I will, but Mike will never let me live it down. So I had an off-the-record chat with uh, a, a, a person at Red Hat, at Ohio Linux Fest. And uh, I asked, so what's, you know, what, how is Red Hat using Docker internally? What are you guys doing? Like, I know you're doing Docker support in RHEL, and I know you're big on Docker and all this publicly, but how are you using it internally to develop your tools and your systems? And, you know, I noticed here you have a ThinkPad running Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Do you, you have Docker installed right now? And I, it's like Mike was, like, sitting on his shoulder. He says, well, actually one of the more common uses of Docker inside Red Hat is uh, more and more of our developers are buying MacBooks, and they're using Docker to continue to do Linux development on the MacBook.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So Good, good, excellent.
0: So now we know why there's no Red Hat Enterprise Linux desktop, because there are more and more of them using Macs with Docker. So, dang it. Another one for Mr. Dominic.
1: Another win for me. Yep,
0: yep. Jerks, jerks. Uh, And uh, I said, can I put that in the show? He's like, no. Yeah, I'm not going on camera to So you to say did that. it anyway.
1: Well, I, I
0: didn't say who it was. You might, I might be lying for all you know. Maybe I just made that up.
1: So. I think it was, I think it was, um, hmm. <laughs> you I'm going to say, I'm gonna, I don't know anybody at Red Hat.
0: If a person did enough digging through some of our Ohio Linux Fest coverage, they might be able to figure out who said that. But I don't want to say anymore. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. And he might You know what? I'm sure he was joking. I'm sure he was joking. I'm sure they all have Thinkpads running Red Hat Enterprise Linux on their
1: desktops. I'm yeah, sorry. you know, you just created a witch hunt for the Red Hat Mac user. You know that, right?
0: <laughs> no, this guy that told me he was a Thinkpad user, he was actually, he was dogfooding. Uh, and we gave him props for that.
1: So maybe he's, uh, maybe this is like uh, some sort of intrigue, right? He's trying to set up the guy right above him who's a Mac guy.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's an attack from the inside on the Mac users. Expose them. Root them out. Oh my God.
3: All right. Just, to just throwing Apple this scare. out there. What's that,
0: uh,
3: Josh? I was gonna say, just throwing this out there. Uh, when I visited the uh, Tampere, uh Yola office, uh, I noticed that a lot of them, almost every single one of them, were running ThinkPads with Ubuntu. Oh, there was. I only saw one Windows box. So you went to the Yala office? When was this? Yeah, this was back. This was uh, a couple months ago. Um, they did, they invited me. They invited me. See the in another tablet? individual. Did you see the tablet? No, oh. I, I I, didn't see any design stuff.
0: Yeah, that... Uh, Unfortunately. Have you seen the tablet now, right? You see they raised yeah, $1.2 million? Yeah, I, have, I have
3: pre-ordered, actually. Oh, you
0: did? I was thinking about yeah. doing it, too. They've got 15 days left, 322% of their goal for the Yala tablet. Mike, have you seen this?
1: I have, but, I mean, how big is this tablet in terms of, like, you know, expected market shares? Well, like I
0: don't know. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but it does run Android apps, so that might help a little bit with adoption. And Sailfish OS is actually not too bad. And if you've call, quaked call it a little bit crazy. for tablet,
3: what's that? But Call me crazy, but uh, I am actually selling my Nexus 5 um, because I, I, I pre-ordered the, the Yola tablet um, with the expectation of selling my Nexus 5 to recoup that cost.
0: I don't think it's crazy. Um, it looks like a well-designed tablet, and I bet it's not going to be lot locked down. So it's going to be a one point eight gigahertz quad core Intel X eighty six processor, two gigabytes of RAM. Uh, it's got five megapixel camera, seven point eight five IPS display, twenty uh, forty eight by fifteen thirty six resolution, three hundred and thirty PPI. It's a pretty decent eight hundred two eleven n, forty three hundred milliamp battery. I mean, like if I would you're- say,
3: it's just. I would just say it's a good entry level tablet if you want something that's along the lines of the iPad Air but significantly cheaper and because
0: uh, running selfish.
3: The, yeah, and I mean one of the things of course that it, it lacks compared to like the iPad mini is a, a decent sized battery.
0: Yeah.
3: But in theory like I've never had issues with battery life on my Yola device, on my Yola phone, so
0: Hmm. What do you think, Mike, about the strategy of uh, uh, out-of-the-box Android app support? Is that going to set back native app development for it? I mean, if you were going to write for the Yala tablet, why wouldn't you just make an Android app?
1: <laughs> well, that's, you know, that, that's an if and a half, right? I mean, didn't BlackBerry try this?
0: Well, that's kind of where I was going. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, my move would not be to replicate BlackBerry's dying move. You know, just saying.
0: But it couldn't could it also be a, like a, a transition technology? But that's
1: exactly what BlackBerry said. Like, this was a, this was a transition. This was you know an easy onboarding, right? With it. all kinds of
0: dude. you're ruining my uh, excitement, Mike. You're right. But, but aren't they
3: targeting completely different markets? I mean, BlackBerry's going for the you know the business enterprise, enterprise users. Who, and what's Yola's market? Y- y- yola's just their general consumer. So they're M- going after the iPad like, mainly mid. Mainly mid-range devices, so yeah, probably probably more along the lines of uh, cheaper Android tablets that they're probably targeting as an alternative, but... Mm. Boy, that does seem mm. like a tough one. I'm
1: not sold. I'm not... You know, I think, Chris, at some point, I've become too bitter to this kind of thing. No, I, yeah, I you're, think... you're just being a curmudgeon.
0: Well, how do you not, though? I am. How do you not? It seems kind of like we've but, seen so many people promise the, a brand new world, and... Nobody really delivers. How do you not get bitter about that? Uh, although I'll tell you about something that does deliver. DigitalOcean. This actually this actually think about this. This is something where they promise something that actually works out to be even better than they promise. So some things do have potential, like DigitalOcean. And use our promo code Coder November when you check out. And that way, you'll get a $10 credit, and you can try out their $5 rig for two months for absolutely free. So, let me tell you about DigitalOcean, because it's slick. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server, your own cloud server that you get root access to. And man, are they slick. And you can get started in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans, they just start at $5 per month. That's going to get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. But it's really that interface, that awesome, simple control panel, but yet extremely powerful. And the best part is that straightforward API, so you can go even deeper, even more automated, all on your own. And because of the, the way this control panel works, you get a wild hair at one in the morning, you log into your DigitalOcean droplet, and in less than a minute, you'll already have a server you can bang on. You can destroy it when you're done or keep it around forever. With the pricing plans the way they are, why not just have a box that you have for testing and a box you have for production, something for staging? You could, the, it's endless possibilities. You can move them around the different data centers, back them up with the snapshots. If you're going to do something like a big deployment and you want to take a backup first, that way you can just go way back in time. Just go right back to where things were working if something goes wrong. You can do that. Super easy. DNS management. One-click installations of things like WordPress and GitLab. It's so awesome. And, of course, DigitalOcean's all in on Docker, CoreOS, some really fascinating technologies that they're at the lead of. And they back it all by these SSDs. So you're going to get the density that you would get from an old, traditional fiber-attached storage array. You know, the, you, you old server guys know what I'm talking about, the ones that would start around $60,000. And now, you know what? SSDs are making all of that. Boop, boop, moot. DigitalOcean's all about it. They're sitting all on top of KVM with this incredible interface, too. But it gets even better. They have all the technology nailed. They have the interaction with the technology down. They have a great community, and now they're up in the game on the tutorials. They've already got some of the best tutorials in the business, and they're getting even better because why? They're paying for them. DigitalOcean will pay up to $200 if you can write a tutorial for them. How awesome is that? You can work with their editors, and they'll pay up to $200. They're also currently hiring an editor position because they've had such a great turnout from this. So go over to DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERNOVEMBER. CODERNOVEMBER, one word, all lowercase. It's going to get you a $10 credit. You can apply it to your balance today to try them out for a little bit longer. Go deploy a box and see what you can do. See what we've been talking about and how handy it is. Why not run your own cloud infrastructure, your own sync services? It's pretty straightforward. And DigitalOcean makes it easier than you could possibly believe. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CoderNovember Set them up as a back-end infrastructure. Oh, and by the way, this is kind of a neat thing. If you're working on a project where at some point you're going to want to hand off that server to somebody else, DigitalOcean makes it really easy to transfer that server, to transfer that droplet to somebody else. So that way, you, at, at the end of your project, you can do a complete handoff to your client. It's really slick. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERNOVEMBER. Let them know that you appreciate them supporting the Coder Radio program by using our promo code CODERNOVER. DigitalOcean.com. Okay. Oh, whoa, 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 right, guys. So uh, I wanted to get into a topic that we've treaded before. Uh, and something that I feel like it could use a little outside input on. And uh that's the topic of maintaining motivation. And I know we've we've broached this in a few different ways, but I think this one resonated with me. It was submitted by Awatsvi in the subreddit. And uh, he says, how, how do you guys who work independently keep yourselves motivated to actually finish the project? I try my best, but when a project gets to about 96% done, I lose all motivation. I and mean, this might be resonating with some of you. I can't make myself even look at the code. Recent examples, he has this gist here that he links us to, an application for Linux to easily create gists. I use it daily, but I can't make myself add Debian packaging and submit it to a repo or even make a PPA. I cannot imagine working for myself after college if I can't even do this. How do you guys do it? Anybody want to start with this one? Maintaining motivation, finishing that last 5 per- or 10% of a project can be a hard thing. And
2: we have some yeah. good comments in the subreddit. Go ahead. Well, um, I usually do more electronics engineering, but yeah, when it comes to doing that last bit, you feel like... You've done most of it, and you're pretty much done. It's just that final little push. I, I really don't know um, how to describe it, but yeah, it. I happen to have a bit of an OCD, so I have to finish. <laughs> I, I don't don't really get calm uh, a calm mind if I'm not done with it. But I still struggle with finding the motivation to do it, other than. I have to, right? So
0: financial is one thing, right? When you work for yourself, you got to put food on the table, right, Mike? Get you that'll get you to work a little bit harder.
1: Yeah, always have a payment tied to final delivery. Um, yeah, I mean, I got to be honest. That's that's kind of the main motivator, right? I mean, unless it's something that's going to be publicly released, and you just want to be able to, you know, be like, "Hey, look what I did." I don't... Well, I mean, that's sort of what that what this
3: sounds like because he even talks about adding a Debian package and, like... Right.
0: Maybe he needs to find somebody to do that part for him.
3: Maybe it's just yeah, not I, his I thing. think I think he just needs to, you know, get a few people, maybe his friends, to just check it out or something, give them feedback, you know, because that way you have that sort of discussion.
0: Here's what uh, Jed in the subreddit wrote, and I like this. I thought this was kind of insightful. Maybe you guys tell me what you think. He says... You sound alone. What is lacking is your motivation and what is lacking is the inspiring part of possibly getting it done. The solution? You need interaction. You're pushing yourself hard to get coding done and now you're out of energy. Go grab a relaxing drink and hang out in IRC channel somewhere where your users or Debian maintainers hang out and shoot the ship for a while. Ask for a bit of help or a bit of review of the package or things maybe you should be avoid doing when making a package. Code talks to you, but only at nine a.m. and after two cups of coffee. And the rest of the time, some human interaction is actually pretty useful.
1: <laughs>
0: and then he goes you on know, to say, that's... "You could always try striking up a G plus call or a Skype with somebody to get a little motivation." What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's actually pretty it good. I, I like that a lot.
0: Yeah, I did too. Jed, Jed has got some great comments. Sometimes he's Memoc Proxy on the uh, Memnoc Proxy on the uh, subreddit, and uh, it's funny. Uh, I, the same thing happens for creative processes, right? I can get totally stalled out on a show. And uh, sometimes it's just the mental changing of a gear, like going and talking to somebody about something else. You know, it, it, it's a whole range, right? Of Sometimes just like getting your head out of it. But a lot of times, if you talk to somebody who's also really interested in what you're doing, that energy is infectious. So I think that's what... I think Jed's really nailed it there. It was good commentary. Um, all right. So, uh, and and I, I know we've talked about this before, and it's, it's something we've struggled with, maintaining motivation. I also have recently sort of been... I've been trying to learn my my boundaries a little bit better. And so this morning on Tech Talk Today, I announced that I'm not going to do Monday shows anymore for Tech Talk Today. I'm going to transition from Tuesday to Friday instead of Monday through Thursday. Because I could tell what was happening to me was I start working on the Linux Action Show Friday morning, and I don't stop working on the Linux Action Show until Sunday evening. So it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every single week, The entire time I possibly can, whenever unless I have to sneak out and do a family thing, like it is a marathon. And then Sunday evening comes around, and I don't get to relax. I don't get to have like a six-hour weekend. Instead, I now have to start working on Tech Talk today to get it ready for a Monday morning show because it's Monday morning, and I want to have it ready before I wake up because it's Monday. And it's very exhausting. And I learned, you know, I have learned that what I what my natural instinct to do is bear down and tough it out and get the job done. That's my sort of go-to reaction in that situation. And uh, what I've now learned is even though it's hard for me to admit that I have to slow down a little bit or change something, that I have to start to recognize the signs because if I don't address it before it goes on too long, that that burnout starts to bleed into, I don't want to call it depression because that makes it sound stronger than the feeling is, but You know, it just it starts to bleed into this sort of I get into a funk and I start to get into a funk about other things. And it just sort of it becomes very draining. And uh, but yet this I have like this macho mindset. Oh, just get it done. Get it done. Keep pushing through. You can do it. It'll get better. And have at some point you have to stop and say, okay, what do I need to change to give myself enough energy and freedom to work on the other things that are also very important? And so uh, I made the choice today Kind of. Before I went on air, about a half hour before I went on air, I said, "You know, what, this is this has got to stop. I've got to make a change today." And so I announced on the show that I'm going to stop doing Monday shows because, for me, it's more important. That I don't if if I can stop doing Monday shows and that prevents me burning out on all of the other shows. That seems like a pretty fair trade. But on the surface, it's kind of a hard decision to make because the audience. You know, there's an audience for a Monday show. They've baked it into their routines. There's a certain expectations set there that I I don't want to disappoint. But I also have to kind of make a hard choice to leave myself the capacity to work on other things. I got to figure development is exactly the same way in some cases. So you have to make those choices too. Yeah, uh,
3: on the fl- on the flip side, I mean, you did say that you are going to have it on like Tech Talk today on Friday, right? Yeah. W- which is awesome because a lot of tech, like for some reason, companies a lot of companies out there feel that it's good to have their PR and announcements on Friday. And then let something die out over the <laughs> yeah, weekend. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, Friday's a better news day too. Right. Yeah, so yeah, that exactly. that helped too. Uh, but, you know, I I also don't rule out the point that one day I might cut the Friday show. It's possible because it's not like when I'm not on air, I have a bunch of other business stuff I have to do. And Fridays are traditionally the day I get a lot of the business stuff done, which doesn't really work. Business doesn't fit into one day. So it's kind of, I mean, it, it, you know, I, it's just something I, I've learned that I have to be a little more okay with. Uh, so, you know, it's a it's a process. It's a little bit of getting older, maybe, or thinking about it a little bit more. I'm not sure. But it, there's there's a lot of things that can help you get through. Sometimes it's reduc- reducing your workload. Sometimes it's changing your workload. Like I'm shifting it, really. And sometimes it's financial. So I guess awaits oh, Uh Don't I mean, it's really good that right now when you're not getting paid to work on your own, you're figuring this stuff out. So, think about it from that perspective. You know, I'm reading through your, your Reddit post here, and you seem like, you know, you're kind of stressed out about this. And I would say go easy on yourself, figure it out now while your financial life doesn't depend on it. So that way, if you do go into independent contracting, like it sounds like you're thinking about doing. You'll, you'll be at a place where you can identify these things and make the adjustments before it gets too far. See, really, whatever is causing you to kind of burn out before you finish the project probably should have been identified a while ago. So now you just have to learn how to do that. And then once you get to the place where there's a paycheck on the line, you'll hopefully be at a place where you can identify these problems and fix them before they cost you money. So you're at a good spot right now. Even though it sounds seems like you're in a bad spot right now, you're actually in a good spot because you're figuring it out before it makes you broke. And that's always a good thing. Uh, And I want to take a... Before we go to... uh, There's a couple of things we could talk about today. In fact, uh, I kind of have an interesting Google story I wanted to share with you guys and see what you think about this. But first, I want to thank our friends over at Linux Academy. This might be a good solution for you if you've been looking for a way to increase your skill set within the constraints of your own time, right? Or if you want to go learn from people who truly understand the material. It's not a general, like... We will teach you everything from fixing your sync to using Photoshop kind of school. That's not what Linux Academy is about. They're hyper-focused. They focus in on Linux, AWS, OpenStack, DevOps, and all of the things underneath that umbrella. Which, if you think about it, is quite a few things, right? It's everything from learning how to deploy web services, writing rsync scripts, to using Puppet or OpenStack, right? I mean, it's a massive range. And that's why you need people who really, truly understand that to teach it to you. So go over to linuxacademy.com coders. Just take a look around. It'll save you some money. And once you get that subscription, you get access to everything they have to offer as they add it. You know, they're always adding new courses, constantly having live events. It's a really cool system. They have step-by-step video courses and downloadable comprehensive study guides. So you can take those offline and go through them at your own speed. The labs come with their own servers. So they just spin up as you need them. Very neat. You get public logins. You can set up and define services on them. You can choose from any of the seven plus Linux distributions. So if this is also another cool thing to do. Like if you just want to see how it's done in another operating system, maybe you've been a CentOS Hat Enterprise user and now you've got to go maintain an Ubuntu web server somewhere. Why not go take a course over at Linux Academy? Because you get to choose the distribution and then they automatically adjust the courseware to match that distribution. That is so cool. And you get to keep track of your progress as you go through, see exactly how long it's going to take you, get little time estimates. And they have learning plans now where you can plug into the, to the system and say, hey, I have this much time available. This is how much I can work on this this week. It will automatically then generate the courseware for you so it can fit within those constraints. They can set up email reminders for quizzes and courseware-related things. They have a community where you can go and get inspired when you have a little bit of a dip in that motivation. It's a, like we were just talking about, you know, reaching out and getting that interaction. It's just as important when you're trying to teach yourself something. It's a really awesome system. And what amazes me is how much better it's gotten since we've launched. Brand new website, right, since they've become a sponsor. All kinds of new courseware. More and more live streams. It's so neat. They've even got Android development courses PHP development courses, Ruby. I mean, there's all kinds of things for our audience. It's, it's really a treasure trove. It's really exciting they decided to become a sponsor because it's such a great fit for you guys. linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go check it out. Become a certified AWS SysOps administrator. Why not? Go try out one of their scenario-based deployments where you will deploy something in AWS and take advantage of all of the surrounding infrastructure services like S3 and the Edge services and the DNS management, and the simple mail transfers, all of it. Like, you will walk away having a comp- comprehensive... Understanding of how to implement these technologies. Think about the confidence boost that gives you. And you can walk into a job and know what you're talking about. Or just having that checked off on your review at the end of the year is worth it. Or just the personal satisfaction of keeping your skills fresh. linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go check them out. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio
3: program. If I could say one thing, actually, about the Linux Academy stuff. If If you're looking... At like your like your favorite open source project that you want to start contributing to, sometimes the barrier entry is version control, and and if they're using Git, Linux Academy has a really really good course on Git and GitLab that I I can't recommend enough.
0: There you go, thanks Josh. So yeah, it's a, that'd be a great example of something to get started at the Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders Pretty cool. And it's pretty neat, like watching them add more stuff and tweak the uh, system a little bit. And I think it's a neat neat deal. Uh, Sometimes I wonder if maybe that's what I should have gotten into instead of podcasting. (laughs) They took my idea before I had it. I don't know how that works exactly. Uh, All right. Anybody in the mumble room or Mike? Are anybody on the panel today using Google Inbox? You know, that new uh, fangled. uh...
1: Are you on crack?
0: Well, I didn't think you would be. But I know we have a few folks in the community that are. Uh, And. You know, we've talked a lot about designing applications so that way you could write them for multiple devices or interfaces like the web and things like that. So uh, Google has been uh, talking a little bit about how they wrote Inbox. At a level of detail, I don't, I mean, I can't really remember Google going into before. So here's the takeaway headline that kind of impressed me. Google's using 70% shared code across the Android, iOS, and web clients. Even the web clients. 70% of all the code is shared and it might be not too surprising, but how they pull it off kind of surprised me. Uh, and it's, they're using some serious magic here. So the, the three platforms share the most of the back-end logic that powers the app, while unique parts of the interface for the UI are mostly written, you know, for each type of device. This get, that gives Inbox a native feel and OS integration on each platform. Google has built itself an arsenal of cross-compilers that it can write an app's logic once for Android in Java, and then have it cross-compile to Objective-C for iOS and JavaScript for browsers. So Java to JavaScript is handled by Google Web Toolkit SDK, which has been around for some time. But the real enabler enabler for Inbox is called J2 OBJC, so Objective-C, J2 Objective-C, which is, as the name implies, it converts Java code meant for Android devices into iOS already Objective-C code. Mike, what do you think of that? Does that sound crazy to you? I mean, it's obviously I, working.
1: It definitely is working for them. Um,
0: Apple's got to hate hearing this, though, right? I mean, that's, Apple got, somebody at Apple read that and goes, those sons of bitches at Google, right?
1: Well, I think anyone who's been doing Objective-C really for a while doesn't love this, right? So, But I think you kind of glossed over the main point is that this only works for the back-end logic of the app, right? No, no UI, no experience, none of that stuff.
0: Well, isn't that the most important part, though? That be native is the front end stuff. Like it makes sense. I mean, this is pretty clever. And by the way, it is open source too. I, uh, Chairman's pointing out. Uh, so, uh, to me, as a novice, honestly, it sounds horrible. It sounds like clunky, messy. I think of I think of like applications earlier in iOS's lifecycle that would uh, you would write like in real basic, let's say, and then it would crap out some junk iOS code. That's what I think of when I think of this kind of thing. Yeah, but
3: I'm I'm honestly surprised that they just didn't decide decide with all that money that they have to just hire a few Objective C coders, you know.
0: Hmm. Is it about that though?
1: Yeah, I don't think this was just a cost saving move. I think it was just, you know I, Because we can. Well maybe yeah, to prove a point. Because we can and we prefer Java. Like right, there's
0: yeah. Well, okay, but is it that much weirder than Facebook uh what, what does Facebook do? They write in one language and then compile down to something. What do, what do they do? I can't remember now, but something like like they write in PHP, right? Yeah. Right.
3: Uh, they, they write in PHP with a hack, which yeah. gets converted into like machine code. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so here's what I was thinking when I read this. Is I was thinking, well, this they must just have a way deeper bench of people on the Android and Java side. And so they've built this tool so that way they can still release iOS apps without having to invest in a whole bunch of iOS developers. So in a way, it is about saving money, I think, but not in the way we think of it. I think it's like we don't want to invest in developers in this platform.
2: You also say space. More developers equals more space needed for developers to work in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Google
1: hires armies of contractors and contract shops. Like You can't tell me that there's no you know, iOS-centric contractor out near freaking Mountain View that could have done this. I, <laughs> yeah, that's I, true, right? D- I mean, this is, more, I don't know, to me this just feels like we don't write Objective-C because we don't write Objective-C. Hmm. You so, know, like, we don't do that.
0: Well, but, okay, let's keep, let's, so here's what they're using this converter for, or whatever you want to call it. It's really, but, it's like you said, Mike, it's not the UI stuff, it's the shared code, like the conversation code, the reminder stuff, the contact stuff, uh, you know, the the, the network, ma- this this did surprise me, the network management stuff, offline synchronization, all the stuff how the app is used when it's offline, that's all logic that they write once for Android in Java. Uh, they say, this is Google saying this, sharing the code for this stuff is a big time saver. So we only have to write it once and debug it once. And they, they even went as far to do a, like an actual like legit Google blog post about this. They're really kind of like sharing the info with folks here. So yeah, I'll so have this link in the show notes.
1: It's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But, you know, Real Basic was also a time saver. And that was pretty much terrible, right? <laughs> I, yeah, sure. This works for Google because Google knew where they could do it and where they can't. What scares me about this is, you know, people are going to look at this and go, oh, I don't have to invest in hiring out for iOS? Great. Let you me think? just get my Java guys to cross compile this. And it, it's going to be a nightmare. Oh, sh- that's what this is. Just bringing it back to real basic again right like it, they, it is they are going using the nightmare they how much do you want
0: to how much do you want to bet at some point I mean it is already an open source project so this is kind of this is kind of Google saying public that's why they're making a big deal out of this See, I, right what didn't sync what didn't click with me is why is Google talking about this it's fascinating, but Google's actually famous for being kind of secretive about this and data infrastructure stuff like they don't normally come out and give this kind of detail. But what they're saying is it's the meta message. It's saying, write Android first, write Android once, convert to iOS. That's right. what the message is.
1: I mean, if you want to be really deep into it, you know, there's the whole commoditizer compliment thing, right? I mean, you know, I was less than thrilled about Swift because to me, it's a pretty obvious way to make iOS more easy to develop. More and the therefore barrier. lower the price, lower the yeah. overhead, right? Right. I. I st- but having said that, there are still a lot more people who write Java than write Objective C.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what Google's hoping to capitalize on. They're sitting here right. thinking Android has this huge install base. There's tons of Java developers. This is it's brilliant in a way. It's brilliant because it's sending it's sending a message better than marketing could. Like you could run ads saying this is possible, but to actually develop a high profile app that's so far so far been will, fairly well received and then to come out a couple of weeks later and say, well, here's how we did it, and you might be able to do it too.
1: Yeah, but this is going to be a disaster. This is going to be an absolute fiasco. Companies that actually try this are, are not going to understand that, one, if you're doing at least consumer-facing application, the majority of your investment is on the front end, not the back end. Right? Your fancy synchronization stuff doesn't really matter. Um, it, it, is, it is going to be a nightmare, and I'm telling you, there will be plenty of failed J two or Java to Objective C failed projects in the next six to nine months. I I can see it already.
0: Yeah, you know, and if if they don't watch carefully, uh, it could get a bad rap. That's why I think the way they're doing this is kind of genius because it's sort of sneaky and subtle, and uh, it'll cause other people just to go check it out because well, Google's doing it, and uh, it's more organic in a way too. now.
1: I mean, all, you know, Apple's recent moves with Swift—they're totally proprietary language. All this stuff. It seems like a lot of these vendors are trying to kind of pigeonhole developers into their platform. Sure, right? yeah. I mean, let's look at um, what is it? Not iCloud, but the new one. The uh, well, it's part of iCloud. That new, it's basically Parse, but for iOS only, right? Okay. Yeah.
0: Basically,
1: mm-hmm. guarantees your app is one platform. Um,
0: or, or it... right? You know, in, in, or another example, uh, the one that I'm more familiar with is: it seems to me like Metal sort of encourages game right. developers to sort of only focus on iOS.
1: Right, Swift encourages you to pretty much be iOS only because it's very difficult. Yeah. Though, again, not impossible. But in the past, you could you know, take a C++ engine, throw it in an iOS app, throw it in an Android app, and there would be problems, but you could do it. Again, not impossible with Swift, but certainly a lot more obnoxious.
0: Mm. Uh, here's the little details on the website. So on the web, uh, they say the story gets more interesting. This is from the Google blog. We use an open-source GWD cross-compiler to translate the Java data model into JavaScript which we build for Inbox for the web. In recent years, JW, or GWT has made great strides in being able to output translated code, which is conveniently and performantly accessed from native JavaScript. For example, the reminder.snooze method provided by Java data model is exposed exactly the same way in JavaScript. Uh, and so, uh, and they say, we developed a 2 Objective-C cross-compiler to translate Java data models into Objective-C. And uh, I think it's also telling that uh, they posted it on GitHub. And they've just recently moved V8 to GitHub as well. Uh, it seems like everybody's Microsoft, Google, everybody's getting up on GitHub um, and making it more available to everybody. Generally, they say J2 Objective-C relies on Objective-C auto-release pools, so objects normally garbage collected are instead freed when the pool drains. One problem with this approach is reference cycles. In places that cycles exist in our Java data model, we use Java annotation to identify the at weak reference.
1: Right, so you're already—I mean, right there. So that's saying they already have to do compromises mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the different memory model. But but the real story here, to me, is what is this app not written in?
0: <laughs> Swift, Polymer, I guess. Is that the real story? No, no.
1: What HTML5? Oh, the web company decided well, yeah. to go native. I mean, that's that's a that's a big statement.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm wondering where uh, Polymer is positioned, if if anywhere in this. Because, I mean, it, it it sort of makes sense, given Polymer is really oriented towards uh yeah. right, towards mobile devices and Chrome.
0: But it's not mentioned at all. Yeah, I know. Hmm.
3: No, it's not. Weird.
1: I mean, you know, certainly it's easy to just stoke the flames over the Java converter and, you know, fine. Yes, as an Objective-C developer, I like that it was, for a very long time, this little bastion where basically no one could compete, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it was yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, that's no longer true. Yeah. But... Hmm. I, the, the bigger story is that after all their years of promoting HTML5 in the web, when they had a major product, they did not go that route.
0: Well, boy. I don't uh yeah. I, I guess I didn't even think of that angle of it, other than I'm sure, you know, the top end, the top the top side of the UI on the web is obviously a lot of HTML5 stuff, but...
1: Like we're talking about for mobile, right? Yeah, for mobile, not
0: so much. No. Yeah, you're right. And they've, and they've been... And in fact, that was part of I mean, not to go too far off the track here, but that was part of the appeal to material design is you could make HTML5 applications using material design look like native apps.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I could grab the team that did this, I would just ask, not even about the cross-compilation because, you know, there are obvious reasons they would do that, but was it native from day one or at what point did you guys, I mean, was there an HTML prototype that maybe didn't work?
0: Wouldn't that be interesting?
1: That, that's because I, I have a feeling that, you know, remember the Chrome App Store? yeah oh yeah it's it's not doing so hot right no. like they're they have this big bet, and little by little they're kind of backing off of it, right? I mean, the dart virtual machine that didn't really go anywhere
3: actually it is uh they they are planning on having it be included in chromium uh in the next few releases if you If you go to the the planned stuff for blink, it's actually in there
1: oh really, but can it cross out of chromium? Nope. Is there is there like a yeah, is there like a Dart platform I could develop for, for other platforms or is it just Chrome?
0: Oh, that's Chrome. funny. Yeah, you know, I just I was just looking at this uh Hacker News post. Uh it says Dart will never be adopted outside of Chrome. That's say this is this guy's main argument. He says uh but uh I I don't know. I mean, you you put, you build Dart into Chromium, uh, you know, I uh, maybe the browser just becomes like a, a new runtime dependency that you got to have.
1: So oh. You know, I've been seeing a lot, and I don't understand why. I mean, I'm not... Okay, so I'm not a hater, but I've seen a lot of people and people I've been talking to are really jumping all over TypeScript, which is, um, you know, Microsoft's... Yeah. Don't call it JavaScript, C-sharp Really? Language. You're
0: seeing some pickup there?
3: I,
1: I've I, been using TypeScript since, uh, since Microsoft announced initially it? announced okay. it. Yeah, I haven't heard yeah. anybody talking about it. So, so what attracted you to it? Because I'm trying to figure... Like, I've I'm, been I'm playing with them, Lessons and I, I do- and modules. Classes. Okay, classes so so object oriented basically.
3: Yeah, I, I, I use modules heavily because to mm. make my code extremely modular. Right. And I, I absolutely love it. And it's it's when I look at what so I don't just compile and then never look at the JavaScript. <laughs> I, I looked at the JavaScript, right. I'm like, okay, this is stuff I was
0: writing anyways. So it looked good. You're yes. comfortable with it. it so let me ask
1: you this. I had my adventure. Uh, and it's been a while, so I'm sure they're better now. But about a year ago, with CoffeeScript, and it was not so hot because of the whole cross-compile thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How are you? How is the TypeScript? I mean, are you having to do a lot of tweaking, or is it really just kind of work?
3: Um. Uh, so, it, I mean, how do I put this? Y- you have to really think of it in the mindset of static typing. So okay. so you do have to really rely on knowing what what types you are being returned. Sure. And, and and the TypeScript compiler will throw up an error like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is sent back as an element instead of an HTML element or something. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you, so you need to make adjustments for that. Mm-hmm. But on the plus side, the the compiler will essentially make sure
0: you're not doing anything stupid before you do it. So that's you know I mean for somebody like me that would be that would actually be a kind of compelling feature because I it's almost and not to not to minimize it but it sounds a little bit like training wheels which for me would be kind of a good thing is it like training wheels or is it more advanced than that
3: I I think it's just taking your JavaScript code and making sure it's more on on a level of application like like an application scale yeah application
0: grade kind of right okay I like that that makes sense.
3: Interesting.
1: Yeah. Now, now, do do you know what version they're at with TypeScript?
3: They they're at one point three. Uh, some exciting stuff coming in one point four is union types. So you could define this is something that I've had a real headache with. Uh, if you haven't been able to define multiple return types, or or having a argument
2: mm.
3: have yeah. multiple types, mm. so you couldn't say this is either going to be a string or you know a boolean value, and that's something they're going to be adding, which is awesome. Yeah. So
0: no kidding. And it's up on GitHub. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, just like the rest of dotnet. So, Josh, do you know when that's? Yeah, do you know when that's supposed to land? Uh, I don't. If you go to the TypeScript blog,
3: which uh, is under that Learn section that you have on the, the TypeScript thing, um, they should have more details there.
0: The blog under Interact there. Yeah. Okay. I see. It.
3: Uh, under uh, uh, under yeah. the Learn section. Oh, yeah. Here's the one the right of the video.
0: Yeah. Here's the that you're talking about. This uh, sneak peek at 1.4 right here. Yep. Awesome. I will put that in the show notes for Excellent. folks that want to read through that. You know, that Microsoft, huh? You know, uh, last call before we run. Anybody have any thoughts on the uh, dot- We covered it last week, but we didn't get much feedback on the .NET stuff. In fact, we didn't get any feedback on the .NET stuff. Anybody in the room want to do an instant feedback on their thoughts on Microsoft open sourcing .NET? Nope. Nobody nope. really. Look at that. It's just, a, it's just a thud. Isn't that interesting?
1: I think it's just a thing that happened and people don't really care.
0: Well, and it, it's almost, it, maybe people are almost like, well, yeah, it, it happened and it probably should have happened a few years ago, maybe.
1: Right. It's just something they had to do. It's not, I, I honestly think it got overplayed.
2: Yeah.
0: laser in the chat room says he thinks it's a bad thing. are you, we Well, send us an email, coderadiojupiterbroadcasting.com. Let us know what you think about anything we covered today. You can also go to jupiterbroadcasting.com. You can click that contact link and then choose Coder Radio from the drop-down. Also, that subreddit, dat subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. Why don't you go over there and make our show even better. Your comments, your story suggestions, questions, all of it are appreciated, and sometimes you get great answers from our community, from members like Jed and others, coderadio.reddit.com. Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we want to
1: cover before we run today? Nope, just uh mentioned yeah. the oh. uh, the turkey day sale over at Fingertip. Turkey Day sale still going on for, for two days now. Two more days. Two more days look- to
0: get the fingertip technology Thanksgiving discount. Fingertiptech dot com. Uh also jupiter.gift, we have a crazy badass polo. Have you seen our polo? I have. Go to jupiter.gift and check out the. Ju- it's you now, you haven't got to feel it like I have. I rubbed it all over my body. It felt so good. It's so, it's like a nice heavy material, so that way it'll sit real nice. It looks real professional grade. Uh, Jupiter. So, like,
1: so you like to rub heavy things against your body. That yeah, way.
0: as much as I can. I've also got this jacket now, which the jacket has reached its goal, so those will be shipping. Uh, you have until December 1st, six days to grab that, eight days left on the polo. There's also a Tech Talk Today hoodie. You can go find all of that over at jupiter.gift. That's all I got for today, guys. So uh, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Mr. Dominic, you mentioned the uh, the website. What about maybe like a Twitter feed or something you'd like to send
1: people to? What you at got? at Fingertip Tech?
0: Mumble Room. There you go. At Fingertip Tech. Mumble Room. Go. Thanks, you guys, for joining us today. We'll do this again soon. It was a good conversation. I appreciate it. You guys are the best. Thanks.
1: Take it easy, Mumble folks.
0: Bye, Mumble folks. Hopefully we'll talk soon. And Remember, you can join us live too, dear audience. Go over to jblive.tv on a Monday, noon Pacific. Something like 3 p.m. Eastern, JBLive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com, slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone auto-magically. It's pretty fancy. You can follow me on Twitter, too. I'm twitter.com, slash ChrisLAS. Love to hear from you. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.